0: question is how can AI be able to not just figure out what is the right thing for the kid but figure out how to adjust the entire ecosystem around the kid in order to learn because there's a whole bunch of learning stuff that really has to be with other people and there's no it's not it's sort of naive to assume that a computer can replace that. but the, the computer can do that though is to tell the teacher what is the right thing i should be presenting for these set of kids with this misconception such that they will, in the quickest way, reach this. What's the right way I can organize kids? How can I, who should I give a high five because they just hit a light bulb moment in the classroom, mm-hmm. right?
1: You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what's new and innovative in education. And on today's podcast, Tom talks with Zoran Popovich, a professor and director of the Center for Game Science at the University of Washington. Zoran came to the U.S. from Yugoslavia as a teenage exchange student because he wanted to learn more about computer science, and this choice has led to an adventure that includes gaming companies licensing his technologies, to his creation of NLEARN, a learning platform that allows publishers, school districts, and teachers to work together to deliver personalized learning using classroom data. Let's listen in as Tom and Zoran chat more about the world of computer science, gaming, artificial intelligence, and virtual reality.
2: So where, where did your uh, interest in computer science come from?
1: Oh,
0: I you know I was doing computer science uh, when I was a kid back in back in Yugoslavia. Um, in fact, I came to this country because I really wanted to do computer science. How old
2: were you when you came to the U.S.?
0: I came here as an exchange student. Um, I was in 16, high school. Yeah, and then I got a, lucky. I got a scholarship. Where did uh, you go school. to college? I went to Brown University as an undergrad. Um,
2: Computer science major? Yeah, computer
0: science. Uh, got hooked to computer graphics with An- Andy Van Dam at the time. Mm. And then did my PhD in the same area. Was
2: there a link to gaming at all with that?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's... Uh, I mean, most of my technologies... There's there's a lot of my technologies that ended up being licensed in by game companies. Right. So, For example, like uh, Bungie, the biggest franchise that Bungie has now is using my uh, algorithms of how, how all the characters move mm. uh, in the space. Uh, and that's what led to sort of it and sort of use of uh, games towards uh, creative, uh, creating a, a sort of rapid expertise. And uh, and That so, was an
2: interesting combination of sort of gaming and crowdsourcing.
0: Yeah, I mean, if the scientists came to me and said, hey, we want to basically see if people can actually help us out on this uh, open research problem. And when I looked at it, you know, well, I was clear that, you know, they couldn't just start start doing it and then somehow do something really uh, amazing. They actually had to be scaffolded and brought to a certain level of expertise. And that's where I sort of started thinking about um, how to use technology to lead them with uh, sort of targeted practice on a specific level. And the question was really can they reach state-of-the-art expertise such that they can publish uh, in their outcomes in nature. And it turns out, you know, they published four nature papers uh, as a result. And, um, and ever since then, I've been really sort of targeting this uh, sort of making maximal impact by, by sort of really allowing people to reach their highest potential by, by learning what they didn't even think they
2: can learn. When did you come to the University of Washington?
0: Um, I don't even remember. It was uh, in 99, I think, came as a faculty
2: member. So yeah. th- this is really one of the best computer science departments in the world now, right? Yeah. I mean, it's... it's uh, certainly a leader it's, in it's a couple of categories. It's top
0: five in most of... Uh, some of the recent stuff that I've seen is top five. You know, some of these uh, rankings take a while to propagate right. because, because there's a little bit of inertia in the space. But certainly, you know, I recruit students away from Stanford and MIT. Right. And that, that, you know, uh, so, so I know that we're pretty much up there.
2: You have a great group of colleagues here yeah
0: yeah it's fun I mean it's uh, uh, there's a lot of AI is very strong um, you know education is actually uh, pretty pretty good too so so that kind of confluence of things is really an challenge so a lot them. of us
2: have just uh, in, through the tech press and the popular press have figured out that artificial intelligence is a really big deal it's it's uh, suddenly pervasive in most sectors of life and work, and you've been working in that space for a long time. Yeah. What's what's happening there? What's your the broad view?
0: Well, you know, I mean, it's you know, as an insider, you you know, uh, you know, it, it looks a little bit different. But, you know, I mean, it's it wasn't you know, AI back in 1960s, when people sort of started it out, they said, oh, in about nine months, we'll be able to sort of model human behavior, right? right. And, you know, as a result, because of a lot of these uh, sort of claims, you know, there was a lot, it was kind of a laughing stock for a long period of time. Um, now, the confluence of, uh, of sort of both modeling and sort of data-driven refinement approaches. Uh, and, free, and even free more, storage, uh, right? Uh, and that's right. Uh, so, and just ability to the ability to collect cloud. a lot more data. Right. Uh, allows you to be sort of ever ever so useful. I mean, computer vision is similar like that. You know, right. it kind of wasn't very useful, but now you know, you can buy a car with some kind of vision embedded in it. Um, and so, so yeah, I mean, it's still, it's still a long way away from it actually really being uh, completely trustworthy in what it's what it's actually doing. But it, but it's exciting, you know. And the the problem is that when you look at it and apply it on education, things are. Things are not as quickly uh, leading to outcomes as one would hope, and a number of different reasons uh, for that. But
2: you're much more popular on campus now than you were ten years ago. Your colleague Pedro Dominguez says you're the new switchboard for the university. That everybody's figured out every every big problem has a big data set, right? Do well, you have I don't know. People coming to you <laughs> asking about how do I attack my big data set?
0: Well, I mean, as, as I mean, they mostly come to me when they want to say, "Hey, I." Not just that I have a big data set but but I have this problem, and I want to have ten times more people actually trying to solve it, because we fold it in some of these other things, you know, you know, protein science have, has been increased in terms of number of people doing it by a factor of four as a right. result of what we've done, and we're doing this in neuroscience now. I mean, for example, the the most exciting project now, um, we are uh, we're speeding up the process of reconstructing neurons now by uh, already like uh, by, by three times compared to what, what people are doing, so so it 's uh, the thing that I did manually would fold it now it 's becoming a structure, so I can start developing a theory of how to actually have one, if you want a lot of people to learn uh, to do something really, really well, what are the structures that you can lead them from really no know, knowing nothing, uh, and of course, with direct applications to k12 education. As
2: What's your sense of how the rise of artificial intelligence and the fact that young people are going to live with smart machines, how does that change how we should think about the desired outcomes of K-12 and higher ed, the, the big, what should kids know and be able to do given the rise of AI?
0: Yeah, I mean, the way that I see, see this and, and sort of the way that I'm driving stuff, with, with. I mean, this is kind of the ultimate goal of, of the NLEARN non uh, 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 nonprofit is that, you know, if, things are done the right way, and by that I don't mean just artificial intelligence somehow figure out what the kid needs to learn, Uh, sort of kind of this matrix effect, plug it in and all of a sudden you learn everything. You know, the the answer is really a lot more complex. The question is how can AI be able to not just figure out what is the right thing for the kid, but figure out how to adjust the entire ecosystem around the kid in order to learn. Because there's a whole bunch of learning stuff that really has to be with other people. And there's no... it's not... It's sort of naive to assume that a computer can replace that. But the, the computer can do that, though, is to tell the teacher, what is the right thing I should be presenting for these set of kids with this misconception, such that they will, in the quickest way, reach this. What's the right way I can organize kids? How can I, who should I give a high five because they just had a light bulb moment in the classroom, mm-hmm. right? So there's a whole bunch of these like what should what kind of encouraging things should parents bring to bear when kids come home all of these things really can be discovered and specialized for every kid and that's where i think uh the the key answer is in this symbiosis between computers and people where computers kind of figure out you know the best kind of thing to do is to change this slightly
1: You're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where Getting Smart CEO Tom VanderArk and computer science expert Zoran Popovich are chatting about artificial intelligence in education today. We've been sharing a lot on gettingsmart.com lately about the importance of helping today's students learn more about artificial intelligence through our Ask About AI blog campaign. If you're really interested in learning more about the future of AI, check out Episode 7 in Season 2 of the Getting Smart podcast, where Gerald Huff, a senior Silicon Valley software engineer, shares his thoughts on what AI means for students and the transportation industry. But coming back to this podcast, Zoran now shares more about how AI influenced the creation of his NLEARN learning platform to help teachers better personalize learning for their students.
2: NLEARN.org is a, a new learning platform that incorporates AI to provide better recommendations to teachers and students, right?
0: Yeah, it does It does two things. Uh, first of all, one thing I realized is that if you just want to apply AI on, on, on sort of existing technology and you have sort of a set of chapters or sections in your material, uh, what you end up doing is uh, sort of shuffling or, or scheduling which section a student should get next. And that kind of granularity is just not enough.
1: Right. It doesn't
0: make much of a difference what you really need to do is to have sort of this generative way of producing the problem that's exactly right for that student in that moment in time. And that means taking a curriculum amplifying it 100 times in terms of amount of stuff that you can vary not just for a student but for a teacher in terms of uh, uh, activities in the classroom. And then once you have that now you have huge number of control knobs that you can tweak ever so slightly to specialize for every classroom, every group, and every individual. Uh, Once you have that, uh, then there are basically these algorithms of AI really come to bear. So so the question is, now that you can sort of adjust every little thing, uh, what are the best things that you can change for this particular classroom, with this breakdown of students, for this teacher with this strength and skill sets and this weaknesses, in terms of producing the best outcomes on exactly this uh, uh, sort of module of content. And that's kind of what the platform is trying to do.
2: Did you start in math? Um,
0: We started in math because obviously that's the best and easiest thing to structure, but it turns out that the platform is general enough to to sort of apply itself to um, uh, ELA. So, for example, if you wanted to have a problem on, let's say, differentiate your point of view from author's point of view, so a reading comprehension question that's, you know, pretty squishy from the perspective of mathematics. It turns out they're actually thinking processes that we are able to model and to scaffold students towards really knowing how to think about the text, how to figure out what are the facts, uh, what are the opinions that are weakly uh, substantiated, therefore it's possible for you to disagree, etc. So I'm actually really excited because it really seems to apply to anything where you really need to sort of rationally think and reason and develop sort of these metacognitive skills in, in order to solve.
2: Tell us a little more about how, how would a, a school or a, a particular teacher use it in the classroom to uh, to set up the classroom and to change the, the groupings of students yeah. as they move through a rotation.
0: Yeah, so I mean, the, the platform is, is really trying to make itself as flexible as it can. So, for example, one of our uh, contractors is, is, is in India where they have, you know, for example, our trial is now 20 million kids wow. in, uh, in, in two, uh, two Indian states. And, you know, they have them on basic numeracy and literacy, you know. But um, uh, there, you know, it's, um, you, you, you have only, you, you have 30 kids and maybe three computers, right? So the question is, what is the best way to utilize those three computers through effective rotations in a classroom, right? So the teacher, imagine the teacher basically says, okay, I'm teaching this concept. So this, everything is specialized now for this concept. I want to teach it in a particular style where I'm going to engage students with an open-ended question first, and then I'm going to follow up with a set of content and a challenge problem at the end. So this, basically the preparation for future learning structure is what I like. I only have three computers in the classroom, and, um, and my, I, I want my kids to sort of, uh, sort of uh, be... Uh, I want to include some mindfulness or purposeful struggle incentives into the classroom, right? So that's that, That's the setup. Just from those specifications, the entire set of suggestions for how the teacher should construct the thing, including the set of things to be posed, are suggested to the teacher. Now, the teacher has a full autonomy to adjust these things, um, but, uh, you know, usually the teacher starts this thing, and as the students start practicing, and of course, because there are three, three computers, uh, the rotation... Immediately ensues, right? The three kids are sent sent to work, um, uh, or maybe groups of three kids are sent to work together, uh, rotating uh, kids. So basically, the platform says, "Okay, now take these three kids, have them work with a teacher," uh, whereas all the other kids uh, go go to that platform again, uh, and send. Over, so over time, the teacher gets a sense of what are the key misconceptions the ki- uh, the kids have in the classroom, and then says, "Hey, these four kids have." Are confused exactly on the same thing, um, but and we have just the right problem for them to work on together. Send them to this computer uh, and, and have them work on this. These other three kids have have this other misconception. That's best if you explain to them what what's actually going on. Here's the problem that if you just work with them through, uh, would be best for them. Right. So the teacher basically knows exactly what to do, who to help. And exactly with what? That's kind great. Of so
2: some can go to a computer station. Some can go to small group instruction.
0: That's right. And that's, that's that's what I'm talking about. This AI, not just helping individual students, but knowing exactly how to maximally utilize uh, the mm-hmm. the 50 minutes in class.
2: And you're excited about uh, applications in developmental mathematics as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, the key there is that uh, because the platform uh, can very rapidly identify sort of the key misconceptions and know exactly how to target just them and nothing else, um, it's best for these sort of, you know, end of high school kind of level uh, questions where you basically say, all right, you missed some stuff in high school, maybe even some things in middle school that, right. that really are the bottlenecks for you, you know, but but we can figure out what, exactly what those are and have just the right curated content for you, because now you're motivated, you know, you want to go to college, you want to place in those classes, you don't want to stay in remediation classes. And, you know, in two weeks, if you just focus on this, 10 misconceptions can be removed, and you can actually take this test again, but potentially with 20, 30% increase just in those two weeks. So that's basically our target, because I think this kind of... what people don't think is possible, I think we can actually achieve. And it will be sort of undeniable because these kids now are placing in these classes where it was for, before they were not able to.
2: In the last couple years, we've seen some improvement in uh, writing feedback as well. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a, that
0: you know, I think we're only scratching the surface in terms of uh, what can be there. There's a, there's a lot of ways in which Things can be gained there. And it turns out kids are really, really good at figuring that out. <laughs> so, so if they see, oh, they just want longer sentences <laughs> with auxiliary clauses, I'm just going to write that stuff. And it may not be necessarily comprehensible, but I'm going to get really high score. right? So the key question then there, of course, is how to give them the right set of feedback on what the computer is really good at, and then figure out what the teacher should be focusing on because the technology is weak there and the teacher can actually help. So it's that symbiosis again where teacher doesn't read everything because that of course is the impediment, but you can still have sort of rapid iteration feedback because which is really as we know the main requirement for actually being able to learn.
1: Another topic of interest with the Getting Smart team lately has been around augmented and virtual reality in education. In Season 2, Episode 23 of the Getting Smart Podcast, we speak with Seth Andrew, who co-founded the Washington Leadership Academy in D.C., where virtual reality is central to the learning vision of the school. In fact, Andrew said that in the next three to five years, students will be immersed in augmented and virtual reality all day, every day, and he encourages schools to begin implementing VR as they refresh their ed tech. Zoran agrees with this growing interest and sees the sweet spot in all of this for students around the contextualized learning that naturally comes with immersing yourself in a virtual world. We
2: heard a lot this year about AR and VR. Uh, When and how, where do you think that'll help out in education?
0: Well, um, I I already have uh, one project on this and I just see, uh, there's definitely a lot of interest because I just see like three other grad students. Prospective grad students are sort of asking me if I if they can work with me in this space now. Uh, I would say, you know, it's uh, in terms of all the things that we can do for education, uh, there's a lot of stuff we can do on on, on platforms where, like I said, there are only a few computers in the classroom. Uh, time when AR and VR actually make it into many classrooms where they're mostly needed is still relatively ahead of us. But that doesn't mean the research doesn't necessarily need to be done. Uh, the biggest sweet spot I see uh, is, is uh, because it has to do with the contextualized learning. If you think about it, you know, the only way we know how to learn is in a context right. of some way. So uh, uh, augmented reality allows you to actually really be in that context exactly. So imagine you learning words or another language or et cetera. Um, you know, you could just be having these glasses and every time you recognize a chair, a table... Uh, a door or something. That there's basically just going to be a label there, and right. so you learning in the context of your real world, almost sort of subliminal right. in some way. And I think that could be extremely powerful. Another one has to do with imagine you're actually working on a math problem, um, and you're actually drawing models of it on the paper. What it can, uh, what this thing can do, is actually see your partial solutions to something and say, "Hey, you're actually thinking the right way here," but this particular thing that's mentioned in the text that you don't have in your model, right? So the key, key thing is how can you sort of augment somebody's thinking by using visual cues uh, in terms of, in, in sort of educational context. Those specific two things are, I think, um, things that that would be most useful uh, immediately. There are many, many other applications. That,
2: uh, that Looks can... like it'll be easier to, um, for career education, to immerse kids in different settings. For yeah. problem-based learning, to introduce them to some of the global challenges more yeah. easily and more com- in a more compelling way.
0: There's also, you know, uh, you know, chemistry labs. I, I just thought, like, you know, you can build a chemistry lab um, once. You know, it's software chemistry labs, and any, you know, so every high school everywhere can can now have state-of-the-art chemistry lab, with a huge amount of experiments with no liability issues. Right. Um, but you know. Pretty much realistic uh, concepts of, of what you really could be doing in, in a real lab so so a lot of these things now uh, can and it's and that's where I think also could be interesting because it's uh you can just have one or these two units and still they'll be way cheaper than even just have a vented hood uh, installed in, in, the, in the classroom right uh, somewhere so so you could just really uh, deploy this at scale uh, and have different kind of science learning experience uh,
2: for kids. Lots of cool applications for uh, for medical education.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, um, uh, even for professional development, you know, teachers can now have sort of uh, can can say, "Okay, I want to teach this in a classroom, but you know, I only have fifteen minutes to prep before the class. Let me just try this in, in those this virtual cl- virtual classroom where all the students are confused exactly in the most likely ways, b- with respect to what I'm teaching." Maybe I have some misbehaving kids as well, so how can I sort of train, uh, sort of really having a smooth classroom where I do just the right thing? So so a lot of these things now uh, can be possible for uh, professional development in K-12, but but really uh, professional development in the industry as well.
2: Sounds like AI is powering advances in uh, many different fields simultaneously. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's it's... It's gonna make. I mean, with sort of, you can see basically with these uh, assistants, uh, for example, uh, Alexa making it big. You know, the, these things are gonna be on all of our phones, uh, right. uh, and they already are. They're they're only gonna get better with significant amount of data uh, that, that that's gonna happen. So, um, and and once it becomes sort of this staple in everyday life, uh, there's no turning back.
2: Right. Thank you, Zoran.
0: Yeah. You're welcome.
1: Interested in learning more about the importance of computer science and education? GettingSmart.com has a variety of blogs containing resources around coding, as well as great thought leadership in our Ask About AI blog series. You can join the conversation around that series on Twitter using hashtag AskAboutAI. Thanks again to Zoran Popovich for speaking with us and sharing his expertise, to Tom for a great interview, and to Andrew Luck for mixing it all together for us. Be sure to check out the Getting Smart Podcast on iTunes, and while you're there, subscribe and rate us. For the Getting Smart Podcast, this is Kat, signing off.